Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on White God, the new Hungarian dog thriller. I don't know, Forrest, I've what just we been call it. calling it Rise of the Planet of the Apes with Dogs, which sums it up. I have a few other titles to throw into the mix that I think it also references heavily. But yes, this is the Cornel Mundruso, is the, I believe how the director's mm-hmm. name is pronounced, Hungarian film. It won the Incertain Regard mm-hmm. Award at Cannes, which is uh, generally sort of the weird movie award, right? It's, it's, right. It's, it's, it's an offbeat film that sort of brings something new to the festival. And uh, what this movie brings that's new, and uh, you saw it at Sundance and interviewed the director and met the dog, the lead dog, so yeah. you can tell me more about Although that. Although technically one of two lead dogs. That's right. Because, you know, as with a lot of animal movies, they alternate Right, they have to switch off. Um, but so what and this with dog... Olsen twins. Sorry. <laughs> um, so what this, this dog movie brings to the table that's new is essentially practical effects, right? And we can get into the few moments that there's a little bit of CG used. But basically, this is sort of an invasion of the dogs, um, a kind of fantasy thriller that uses real dogs running down real streets and doesn't do either duplicate them or make their facial expressions change digitally. Essentially, it uses dog actors. Yeah, I mean, in general, it kind of tr- strives for more realism than you would often get in, in something like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I think the only thing that the director said with CGI was some of the blood. Um, well, but, and also we'll get to it. The very last scene where you oh, see right. many, yes. many dogs. I think there were a lot of dogs there, right. but some of them were also digitally doubled to make it an even bigger population. But yeah, in general, I would say this doesn't feel at all like a Rise of the Planet of the Apes style movie and that it's not a big scale blockbuster, right? It feels right. like a small Hungarian indie. In fact, for the first half hour, it feels like a family drama. And then suddenly, half, at about the half an hour mark where the dog and his girl are separated, uh, we suddenly go into this, this zone of, as you say, a sort of an animal invasion. Yeah, an uprising. It's it's funny. I think um, Aisha Harris has a post up on uh, Browbeat Slate's Culture Blog today in which she compares it to being a Darden movie, Darden Brothers movie a little bit, which is it's kind of uh, what half of the movie at least is like is is this coming of age part. And since it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, I have to say I think fondly of all of the dog uprising stuff pretty frequently, but I have not thought as much about the coming-of-age stuff, which I liked at the time, but I, 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 I am interested to talk about how those Are two halves of the movie inter- they're, interact. Yeah, I think that the big question of the movie is, like, do you buy the integration of those two things, and are you able to move from this more psychological realist world that, where the story is that of a girl who's gone to live with her father, her parents are separated, she takes her dog, and uh, how old do you think the girl is? About 12 or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Played by Zofia Psota, we should mm-hmm. say, who I thought was an amazing child actress, and right. she has to hold the screen a lot. She has a lot of scenes with no dialogue by herself, and she's just getting it all across with her face. So she brings this dog to her father's house, and the, after a series of fights about the dog, the dad abandons it. Yeah, well, so significantly... Um, they are asked uh, to, I think, register the dog because it's, quote, not a Hungarian dog, which is, I think, one of the first places you really get a sense of of uh, some of the political ideas I think this movie has in mind. Um, and so that's, I think, when the, the dad realizes that they just can't have this because there's a neighbor who says that they can't have the dog in the building and um, because it's not a Hungarian dog because it's a mutt, basically. So I'm going to go back in time just for a minute to the very first shot of the movie because when you talked about the, the nosy neighbor coming and saying you've got to register mm-hmm. your dog, I'm remembering that for the first 20 or 30 minutes of the movie, I wasn't quite sure what the temporal relationship of the opening scene was to the rest of the movie, right? Because there's, it's never quite established. And the very first scene that you see after the opening title is Lily, the girl, uh, riding alone 
down a, a street in this town, it seems to be completely deserted, mm-hmm. right? And it feels a little bit post-apocalyptic, but yeah. very vaguely so. It's not like there's, you know, heaps of wreckage around or something like that, but it feels strangely empty. And as she's riding across this bridge, she starts to be chased by this spectacularly huge seeming number of dogs. And probably in reality, it's about 25 dogs, but it's filmed in such a way that it feels kind of scary. And uh, and at that moment, you don't know, are we going back in time? Are we going forward in time? And so it, it it occurred to me during the first half hour of the movie that we might be in some strange futuristic universe where people had a different relationship to dogs. Mm. And, and dogs were sort of packs of predators that roamed through the town. It took me a while to figure out, okay, no, that's a flash forward. And we're going to get to that moment where she's chased by the dogs across the bridge. Yeah. And I think the next shot in the movie is just like blood dripping. And then that's, uh, it turns out it's actually from the carcass of a cow. And uh, that's how we find out that the dad is a butcher, which is, I think, where we begin to get at one of the other one of the movie's other big messages, which is animal rights. Right. 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 Yeah. And that's that there's a scene of cow slaughter at the very beginning. So it's sort of laid out, you know, that, that, that this is a world in which animals are tools and food and, you know, they're, yeah. they're essentially utilitarian objects for humans. In fact, I, I think the piece of meat is like stamped with a big message that says suitable for consumption or something. Um, Do you think it's too heavy-handed the, the animal rights? Agenda I don't of this think movie? so, and I especially don't think so because you know I actually haven't read um, any reviews in the last week or so. I assume there have been a lot more uh, as it's getting ready to get a wider release. But back when it played at festivals, people were mostly focusing it on it as a movie about. Um, just kind of various other types of minorities who might not be given equal rights um, or might be kind of marginalized in in society. And uh, the director has said that is a big part he was interested in, and it's maybe what drew him to the movie first. Uh, I am interested in animal rights issues, and it's, I think, kind of the more obvious level in some ways, but it's, I think, not what jumps out to a lot of people. I think, you know... The, the idea that this is not just about dogs, but it's the it's about how we exploit all animals in general. Right. Well, that actually brings me to some other titles I was going to mention. When I was watching this, I kept scribbling down all the, I wouldn't say direct references, but the sort of cinematic ghosts that haunt this movie. And there definitely is the Rise of the Planet of the Apes type of movie mm-hmm. about animal invasions. There's also a little bit of that social realism of the Darden brothers. But like, here right. are some of my other titles. Oazard Balthazar, the yeah, great yeah. Robert Brisson movie right. about, about a, a donkey that you sort of follow his passage from one owner to another, each of which is more abusive than the last, except for this one young girl who understands him. I felt like there right. was a lot of Oazard Balthazar in there. As you see Hagen, our star dog, get separated from his girl and go through this series of, you know, degrading and uh, and brutalizing owners. And then on another level, I mean, with, with a slightly darker twist, it's a little bit like Lassie Come Home or The Incredible sure. Journey or 101 Dalmatians or one of those great Homeward children's Bound, stories. Yeah. Homeward, Homeward Bound, which is, I think, a, another version of The Incredible Journey. You know, something about animals making their way across great spaces to find their way back home, which is even in Homer. You know, that's at the very, very end of the Odyssey when uh, when Odysseus meets back up with his dog Argos, and right. Argos comes up to him and wags his tail once and then dies <laughs> because he's been waiting all that time. So there's some of that sentimentality of, and, and I mean, to me it really worked, of wanting the girl and the dog to see each other at least one more time. Yeah. I, I, just to throw one or really two last ones in, uh, I think when it becomes, when the dogs, I, you know, I guess we haven't quite said we always spoil everything as part of these spoiler specials. Uh, And at the end of the movie, yeah, the dogs go on an uprising and they start attacking all of at least all of the humans who have been um, 
treating the animal the animals very badly. And it becomes kind of like the birds or something with all the humans just like running in the streets. And actually the very first movie I thought of while watching this uh, it's not a movie at all, but it's the episode of The Simpsons where the dolphins all rise yeah. up. Have you seen this? And it's the same so. kind of thing. Well, the, so the dolphins like reveal that they can talk, and they basically just take over the whole society. It's it's very Planet of the Apes or something, but it also like gets at the silliness of the premise a little bit, which I think the movie is like pretty aware of the its more B movie aspects. Um, and there were people laughing in the theater, and I think. I th- I was not always sure whether I was laughing with the movie or at it. I well, like, liked what's it either way. Well, like what's the scene you would laugh at? I mean, I I, think, I, I guess the, the production value isn't quite what it would be in the West. Right. But but I actually thought the effect the the, uh, the the effect of the dogs going crazy was incredibly well done. Yeah, I mean, at times I was laughing like it was more of I can't believe this they is dared so to do awesome. This. Yeah, yeah, right. That kind of laughter. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. There were just some sillier moments where uh, I think there's a moment, and, again, it's been a while, but when uh, Hagen, the main dog, like, jumps on a butcher, maybe it's the dog fight trainer or something, and just, like, really brutally murders him. Is it, is it near the end? Where and people started laughing in my theater When he goes bit. back... Well, because, oh, wait, here's one more title to throw at you that it reminds me of. It's a revenge thriller, right? The, la- the yeah. last half of it is almost like Django Unchained or something. You know, it's sort of like going nuts on the people that, that oppressed you and held you down for the whole first three quarters of the movie. And so there's a huge satisfaction in that. And that scene where Hagen goes back and kills the butcher who sold right. him to the dogfighter. The butcher is played by Cornel Mandruso, I think. It's, he's played by the director. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very satisfying to watch him get his throat ripped out. <laughs> But you know what? Usually at the top of these spoilers, I just sort of say, like, did you like this movie? This was your favorite thing you saw at Sundance, right? I think probably. I mean, you know, it's impossible to see everything at Sundance. In fact, I didn't see most of the movies that ended up uh, winning the bigger awards. I didn't see Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Um, I haven't seen Dope. Uh, But but I saw, like, 20 movies or something. and, And, yeah, this was probably my favorite. I mean... This movie is, like, sort of made for me in a lot of ways. Like, it, it checks off a lot of boxes for me. Like, the animal rights thing, the kind of blend of uh, political messages and and kind of more art house concerns with just, like, B-movie silliness. That's something I always enjoy. I loved it. I mean, did you... Yeah, I pretty much loved it. I mean, I, I can see... I think it's a specialty item. You know, it's a niche mm-hmm. item. You have to be interested in how it was made you know i think you have to you, it's impossible to watch it without sort of having a constant yeah. how did they do that track running through your head and if you enjoy that experience like that that's that's a, a nice element of seeing it um the dog performances and the use of dogs alone if you're a dog person you know make it um, really worthwhile because you get very invested in that character and i want in a minute to talk about how Hagen is constructed as a character um but yeah, I don't think there's a perfect integration between those two storylines. I think it's maybe half an hour too long. I sort of would have liked it if it was just like a, a compact little B movie that got the job done, mm-hmm. you know. But um, but yeah, it's it's ambitious, and I would send people there. Is there? How did you make sense of um, the coming of age side of it at all? I mean, I, I there were basically only two ways that I was able to think of it, and I don't think either. I'm not totally satisfied with either. One is that the fact that there is a realist half of the movie, I think, makes the more fantastical elements of the movie it just it keeps them grounded and like part of the fun of the movie is the friction between those two halves um and i do and then secondly i 
at times felt like I think that there were parallels between them. Like it seemed like things that would happen with the dog. So when the dog first gets loose, it's like around the first time that the dad first allows her to like wear high heels Mm -hmm. or something. So it seems like there was this, there were some parallels Mm -hmm. between like her growing up, you know, leaving the home, kind of learning to embrace her sexuality and 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 be independent with it but um, also a sense that that's maybe happening too soon and too fast and that she right. was abandoned in a, in a bit in a way that the dog was right because that yeah. terrible i found heartbreaking scene where she goes to a nightclub and she's just a child you know she just mm-hmm. really doesn't belong at this nightclub she doesn't know what she's doing you know the boy who comes with her leaves her for a, for another more sophisticated girl and she ends up getting drunk and falling asleep and it's sort of awful and uh, and it's at the exact same time that hagen her dog that she's separated from is going through horrible things, you know, being being yeah. beaten and turned into a, do- a fighting dog and all of this stuff. And it seemed like there was a parallel going on in their, their storylines there. Yeah. I, it's, I At times it felt like maybe these were originally two separate movies or something, but I do think they play off each other in, in somewhat interesting ways. It's super bold to combine them. Okay, so I think we should talk a little bit about um, how, how the dog character of Hagen is constructed. This is what Aisha wrote about in her, her post mm-hmm. on Slate, and it really is kind of the most remarkable thing about the movie, is the confidence with which the director shifts from girl point of view to dog point of view and kind of constructs with no language, with only barking as dialogue, a whole culture and a community among these dogs. Yeah, I really loved that aspect of this movie. One thing I will say right off the bat is I loved the kind of realism in the dog's performance in the sense that it was not like an uggy kind of thing where it was just like, hey, dog, do tricks. Mm -hmm. And like a dog not really acting like a dog in a way. But here, like this this dog it's kind of it's kept pretty naturalistic um so yeah uh, some questions i had coming out of the movie uh just in terms of how they uh shot certain scenes i was able to bring to the director and um the answer is pretty interesting so the 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 main scene that i could not figure out how they shot or i wanted to know was there's a scene where hagen is like um standing right beside a highway and there are cars going through like just kind of flying through right, this when he's first street abandoned, and yeah. he keeps kind of beginning to jut out into the street and then pulling back and beginning to jut out into the street. And it's shot like pretty far back. Um, so it's, it's, you know, you can't see anybody holding. And Hagen it looks like the dog is actually making the decision of when to drive right. across. Yeah. Um, and so in fact, the, this dog is pretty talented and, and the trainer can, instead of saying, Hey dog, roll over or hey dog bang bang I'm going to pretend like I shot you with a gun you know play dead or whatever um, the tr- the trainer that we met Teresa Ann Miller is able to talk to this dog and just say like hey be happy and like lift your head up and like okay now lower your head down look a little more sad yeah yeah I and watched it, that video it. it's amazing yeah. the dog is so expressive well they also picked they cast him very well because he looks unusual I mean mm-hmm. most most of the dogs that he that run in his pack are about the same size which was to me a moment of non-realism like no dog at the dog shelter is going to be a, a dachshund or a teacup Yorkie or something it's just not scary enough right they're all pretty big dogs but he's very distinctive he's got kind of a furrowed brow he's got green eyes which is really unusual for a dog and, uh, and so he always stands out in a pack but a scene where I found him incredibly expressive was and, and it was just a great scene. Was um, was the raging bull style dog fight? His big dog yeah. fight after mm-hmm. he's been made aggressive by this horrible trainer. Um, it's about the midpoint of the movie, and he kills this other dog in the ring, or it's implied that the dog yeah. is not long for this world. 
And then Hagen, the character, I guess Bodhi is the dog, goes up to him and, and kind of hangs his head over him with this guilty yeah. look and even maybe sort of prods at him or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's like when you read about elephants trying to lift up a dead elephant and make it walk again. It's, yeah. it's, it's, he's actually having a relationship to this dog that he's killed, or at least that's what's gotten across in that moment. One of my favorite details about that dog fighting scene is that apparently a lot of the sound effects were not done by dogs, but actually by two humans. Like the, a lot of the growling and ah, was just like two Norwegian guys who like watched it and just made noises. Oh, with I wanted their making mouths. a video of those yeah, guys doing I that. I actually that. saw in the credits that somebody did do a making of feature oh, okay. about this. So I, I hope it comes out on DVD at some point. Yeah. So um, just very briefly to get back to the scene uh, with the street, it was a kind of a combination of things. Um, there was not a bunch of green screen or anything, but they did have. A, professional drivers in the cars um, so that they were ready to, you know, stop at any moment if necessary. They had the the trainer saying, you know, kind of poke out, pull back, poke out, pull back. And then I to be extra careful, they had a safety line that I'm not sure exactly how they hit it, but that they could use to, to tug on, um, you know, the, the, the dog in, in case it got a little too close. Yeah, all um, that stuff was pretty successful. All that stuff was extremely well done. I will say that there were moments when the fact that that dogs are not actors and can't have a relationship yeah. to the camera were a limitation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there were some scenes where you know, it's just the editing made clear that, you know, we were cutting away a little sooner than we would have with a human face because there's only so much expressivity you can find in the eyes of a dog. I mean, so but but working around that limit was precisely kind of what made it interesting, I think. Yeah. So let's talk a little, little bit about the ending, as long as we're spoiling. The ending in this movie is remarkable, I think, and a little bit mysterious, exactly what it's trying to say. I mean, it's, and it is a moment where the human and dog worlds come back together again. And, you know, for those incredible journey lovers, like, waiting with tears in their eyes, you should know that Hagen does find his girl again at the end, and, and they do get to have a last encounter. But it's not at all clear that they're going to get to stay together, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, the the army of dogs comes to her. Oh, we haven't even mentioned the fact that she plays in an orchestra, which is so Hungarian and great. I love that she's like a classical trumpetist, right? And so one of the her her three, two, one. And so one thing she's always done in her relationship with her dog is play the trumpet for him to calm him down. That happens in an early scene when he's anxious at the father's house. She plays a little song on the trumpet and the dog chills out. So the dog storm the orchestra rehearsal. She jumps on her bike. And then we get back to that very first scene we saw. And we realize that we've made a loop in time. And that it's not, in fact, a post-apocalyptic universe at the beginning. But by now, it kind of is, right? Um, and the dogs chase her down the street. And, and she ends up back at her house. And the other love story that's been developing besides, you know, the girl and her dog being separated is that her dad, who starts off being basically a, a neglectful jerk who doesn't want the kid or the dog, sort of slowly comes around to um, feeling bad that he threw the dog out and loving his daughter and taking better care of her. And so all of that kind of converges at the end as the dogs come toward her. And you think that it's Hagen at the slaughterhouse, himself, I think, again, they're bringing... in front of the slaughterhouse. Right? Yeah, yeah. Where the dad works. Um, you're right. It's not her home. It's the slaughterhouse. But so as the dogs approach, um, you actually think that Hagen, you know, who's been turned basically into a bad dog, a very bad dog with a capital B by all of these bad encounters, is going to attack her. And uh, she gets out the trumpet. Some people might think this is too corny, but I loved it. She calms the him down with the trumpet, and then all the dogs kind of join in, and they all lie down. And there's this spectacular shot from above yeah. where you see, and here's where I think there was some digital there redoubling. There was, yeah. They you see what looks like yeah. a couple hundred dogs, you mm-hmm. know, just sort of lying down listening to this song. And then in this beautiful gesture that I didn't quite get, the girl lies down too. She lies down at their level, and it's sort of looking at eye level at her dog. Yeah, I mean, I think she lies, I think in, in terms of the message of the movie, 
it it wants to end on this note where um, these two separate groups uh, who previously had been kind of separated into you know a superior group and inferior group like lie down together on the same level so whether or whether you want to think about that as an animal rights thing where it's like oh okay they've especially the dad has learned to give consideration to these animals and to kind of live in harmony with them or if you want to think of it as being you know about minority groups i i i think we should acknowledge it is a little bit of a weird metaphor to say minority groups in this movie are going to be represented by dogs like it's kind of it's a little bit of an uncomfortable metaphor but um if you just view it more abstractly i i think it works as as them kind of coming together with some sort of equality i mean i didn't that often think about them as a minority group as much as just representing animal life itself, you know, and sort right. of nature, and that it was about, you know, the things that humans have done to nature and the name of instrumentalizing it. But, I mean, there's certainly, there are all kinds of allegorical readings of it, but I think I saw it more, less as a fable and more as a kind of, um, yeah, as, as an animal rights par- parable of some kind, I guess. Yeah, that's the way I'm most interested in it. I, w- one thing I'm curious to talk to you about with the trumpet scene, so I think it's the one... It's one of the only scenes where the movie gets a little bit closer to being kind of mystical. Like most of the movie, you can watch it and you can pretty much convince yourself of a way that this might happen with just a real dog in our real world. And I get how she could put Hoggin to sleep with the trumpet, but I'm not entirely clear on how she would be able to put all of the dogs That's to sleep. That's what I mean it's about fine. the ending being mysterious, is right. that the ending does bring in some some kind of... <laughs> this is something that the movie doesn't quite establish well enough. Is is why is Hagen the Caesar of this dog uprising? Mm-hmm. Right, like he why is he like Andy Serkis's ape that leads the apes? In in the case of the Planet of the Apes, you see why. It's because in the first film, he has the gift of speech and is kind of genetically their superior, so he's yeah. able to organize them. And then you just see that he's kind of a great leader in the second one, and that he knows how to organize them. But it's never quite explained why Hagen is the dog that changes dog history, you know, and what about that relationship with the girl? As loving as it is, you have to presume that some of these other dogs had loving owners, too. And I don't think, given that the dogs don't have, unlike the apes in Planet of the Apes, they don't have actual speech. Mm-hmm. We never quite learn why it is that Hagen is the one that makes this mysterious, sometimes scary, violent stuff and sometimes sort of magical stuff happen as opposed to other dogs. Did that bother you at all? I did. You know, I just I would ask myself questions as I was trying to kind of keep track of where this movie fell on the realism scale. But it do, ultimately, it doesn't really bother me. I mean, I would just I, it's much more interesting to me to have another movie where it's an animal uprising movie that takes place in the real world than to have another animal uprising movie where once again it's that you know they were trying to cure alzheimer's and they gave the animals super brains i didn't want that backstory Uh, exactly but it it would have been interesting to see to see some moment that hagen showed sort of leadership qualities among the other dogs i mean you see why he's like a great pet for this girl but you don't really see his specialness among the other dogs and to the other dogs i guess he gets you know he gets super strong and fierce through all the dog fighting and he kind of proves his physical superiority and then he gets really angry i i don't know it's uh it's something maybe we're thinking about it in two two human terms i don't know i just i feel like that's a moment that you have to just um you have to accept a truth that the movie doesn't necessarily demonstrate to you but so yeah so this ending oh and then we didn't mention that then the dad comes this is like the moment that i found also mysterious the dad comes out and lies down too and then there's a beautiful final shot from way overhead with the hundreds of apparent hundreds of dogs lying there and the girl and dad lying next to each other looking at them but the last thing we heard the father say before that remember one of the other butcher dudes comes out and says should i call the 
police mm-hmm. because everybody in town knows that there's a pack of marauding dogs running around. And the dad says, give us a minute or something like that. Yeah. And so that's all we get is that minute. And the movie ends during that moment that the girl and dad are looking. Yeah. So are the police presumably going to come along and, you know, slaughter all these dogs? Yeah, I think there's a lot of it ends on a, a note with a lot of tension. And I, I kind of liked that. Uh you know, I saw this movie, I went to the screening, um, which actually was back in New York before Sundance, uh, with my girlfriend who, it's like, she hates nothing more than when a dog dies in a movie. And so she was not super happy when I told her that I wasn't sure it was a happy ending in terms of what happens after the credits roll. Because uh, I think it's just kind of ambiguous. Like, it's hard to believe that after these dogs have killed a bunch of humans, that the police are going to be like, well, we understand where they were coming right. from now. That's okay. Yeah, the, the um, girl, girl is somehow going to make her case. Like, can't I just keep mine? So I don't know how your girlfriend did react as a dog lover to this, but I think we should maybe end with a kind of like trigger warning for dog people, you know, mm-hmm. just about how hardcore this movie is. For me, it never got more hardcore than at about the one hour mark when I actually had to turn it off. I was watching it at home for a while because I was scared of what was going to come next. And that was sort of the moment where, you know, they start to turn this gentle, loving pet into a brutal killer dog. That part was really hard to watch, even though very little was shown. It was a lot of audio, and, you know, you would sort of see a, a whip coming down, but mm-hmm. not actually see it hit the dog. It was all just implied, but uh, but that, that violence was hard to witness. And then I, I felt like it was more handleable after that. But what would you say to people, and I know a few of them, including movie critics, who can't stand movies where animals are hurt? Yeah, I have a hard time with it. I think that, you know, this movie's heart is definitely in the right place if uh, if you're, you know, if you're one of those people that really cares about the animals in a movie, but um and it has a mostly happy ending. So if you think you can get power through that stuff, I think you'll come away feeling really good. But it will be pretty rough there in the middle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel like anybody who has a pet is going to have a hard mm-hmm. time with, with some of those scenes. of You know, imagining your dog sort of going from being a gentle, loving creature to a total Cujo. One more thing. I wanted to ask you about the title of this movie. I never could figure out why it's called White God or who that's supposed to be. Is it that humans are white gods to dogs? Actually, so that's exactly right. And I kind of wondered that, but I wasn't sure. It does have a specific source, which is actually not the, I think, 1980s um, Sam Fuller movie called White Dog. That is about like a super racist dog. Um, and that movie may have been an inspiration. But the actual source for the title is the uh, a, a Jam Coetzee uh, novel called Disgrace, which just has a line. I mean, Jam Coetzee is also very interested in animal rights. And I guess in the novel, there's a line um, that talks about how humans appear to dogs. And it, and it, and it says that uh, the humans appear like a white god to them or something. Yeah, well, that's that you have to, you'd have to a know the J.M. Coetzee yeah. quote, right? I mean, it was just it's a big jump. It's very obscure, it, but it's a very grabby title, especially given the fact that God and Dog are palindromes mm-hmm. in English, which of course I'm sure they're not in Hungarian. But the title in Hungarian does mean White God as well, right? I'm I'm pretty sure. All right, well, Forrest, thank you so much for coming in and bringing your your White God knowledge. Thanks for having me. Our producer is Chris Wade. The managing producer of Slate Podcasts is Joel Meyer, and the executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.